0: or wherever you listen.
1: People spend a third of their life, you know, in in workplaces. They can't just get up and walk away. If I have a dispute with somebody in the street, I can say I'm not talking to that person ever again. But when it's in the workplace, we have to go back to that. Welcome
2: to How To, I'm Amanda Ripley. 85% of people say they encounter conflict at work. Some of that conflict is good, Right? A healthy debate where we challenge each other's ideas can absolutely make us stronger as people and as organizations. But sometimes conflict can do real damage. One in four people have seen conflict lead to sickness or absences at work. Close to a third experience conflict always or frequently. That can make work and actually your whole life kind of miserable. Our listener this week, who we're calling Christy, came to us to share her experience working in a toxic environment.
1: I had somebody who was continually yelling in my face. Um, I would speak up. I would tell the person to stop yelling, to stop screaming in my face, that it was abusive, that it needed to stop, and that we needed to work together. Hmm. I was yelled at one day weeks before I left, why are you even talking? That sounds awful. And, And how long were you at this job, Christy?
2: Over 30 years. Oh, wow. We're going to keep the specifics of Christie's previous job intentionally vague here at her request, but it was a factory with hundreds of employees, and Christy was part of a team that maintained heavy machinery. And one guy in particular kept giving her a hard time. And then others would
1: join in too. I felt like I was being um, attacked. I felt like they were trying to isolate me. Um, there was rumors spread about me. Um, it just became... So toxic, I couldn't do it anymore. I just didn't feel safe.
2: Christy tried talking to her bosses and to human resources. She even filed grievances with her union. But she says the situation never got better.
1: I have a whole uh, file called my emotional file, Hmm. where I was trying to process the things that were happening to me and uh, just trying to write them down and piece them together. I had papers all over the floor. My my poor partner didn't know what to do with me at that point in time. But that was my way of getting it out of my body,
3: Hmm.
1: because it was sitting in my body like a big ball of yarn. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And I couldn't couldn't separate it all at that point. There was so much trauma.
2: Eventually, Christy felt she had no choice but to walk away, leaving behind a good salary and benefits. But she knows people at her old workplace who are still enduring this abuse. And she doesn't want anyone else to have to go through what she went through. And I'm assuming you sound like a strong woman who speaks up for herself, not the type to be pushed around. So it sounds like it was extra infuriating that you felt like
1: no one was listening. Is that right? It certainly was. I am the kind of person who speaks up for myself. But I couldn't do anything. And it was just horrifying that I couldn't do anything and that I had to watch other women being put in this position and I couldn't do anything about it.
2: This is a very complex problem with no one size fits all solution. Power dynamics matter. We can't say for sure how much of a role gender played in this particular situation, but we're interested today in what we can do despite all of these other factors we can't control, which is why we turn to Megan Hunter. She is the co-founder and CEO of the High Conflict Institute in California. She helps folks like Christy deal with high-conflict personalities, especially at work, something she knows about firsthand.
4: I remember the dread of waking up in the morning and, and driving to work and that long commute thinking, I, just feeling that knot in my stomach. And I, I would assume that you've felt that knot in your stomach as well?
1: You nailed it.
4: Yep. It's just you um, it. a sense of dread and, you know... In our work, we hear three words repeatedly. I'm exhausted from the chaos, and I dread going there again.
2: On today's show, Megan will share some ideas for untangling the knot in your stomach. Don't go anywhere.
3: This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender.
0: This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman, She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com/podcast or find it wherever you listen.
2: If you're dealing with a bully at work, One of the things that can be most helpful but feels like the last
4: thing you want to do is to try to understand them. This high conflict personality is a person who repeats the same behavior over and over again everywhere they go. And it comes down to four basic things, and all of their behaviors will come under these four. One is unmanaged emotions, um, extreme behaviors, all or nothing thinking, and Blame. They, I call them instant blamers. Uh, we also call them uh, the people who focus on a target of blame. So it's always someone else's fault, and they're always the victim. And this person or persons who were causing you a lot, of, a lot of problems, Christy, um, I, I think you'd probably agree. Instead of being a powerful person, they're probably a very insecure person. Would you agree with that?
1: I don't know that, but I don't understand why you would have a problem working with somebody else who's trying to work with you and why you would feel you need to degrade them. Bingo. A a strong person with leadership doesn't need to bully.
4: Correct. Correct. So here's the thing. These folks with this different operating system, this high conflict personality, they're driven by a sense of they have like a fear-based personality instead of a, a personality that's just kind of getting through life and can have reasonable interactions with others. And I think that's what you expected at your workplace. It sounds like you had many years of reasonable interactions with people, and then suddenly one or more persons come along and you know things are no longer reasonable. So someone like this may come across seeming very secure and very powerful, but what's underneath it, I would argue is a fear of feeling inferior. So the person who fears feeling inferior, their default operating system is to feel superior. Okay. It's an opposites world. So to feel powerful again, I've got to put someone else down. Hmm. I'm struck by Megan how you
2: keep talking about how it's a different operating system. I feel like you're trying to mm. tell us something which is that like don't think you can apply your normal rules of engagement. Yes. Here. Like those will not work here. You are you have entered a different planet. Right. Is that it, right? Yeah,
4: yeah, you're right Amanda. It's it's the way I put it is because they do have this different system then and we don't know the rules. We just have to know the rules and then we can manage that relationship instead of having that person and their, you know, fear-driven operating system manage us. So when you go to planet high conflict, you need to have a manual, you're right. saying,
2: so that you can't use your normal Earth behavior. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it could be Mars. I don't know. <laughs> a workplace bully acts like someone from another planet, it's true. But the phrase itself, high conflict, originates from a very human conflict zone right here on Earth, divorce court.
4: Uh, you know, the, the courts were seeing so many parents coming through, you know, the courts that just blamed each other and fought and screamed and yelled and sabotaged. And they'd come back to court over and over again, and to the point where they we started calling them frequent filers. <laughs> Instead of frequent flyers, they were frequent <laughs> filers. And, um, you know, most people, the 80 to 90 percent, were mediating their cases out of court or coming to out-of-court settlements or just agreements between themselves. But the 10 to 20 percent couldn't seem to make those agreements on their own. And they were blaming, 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 and it was all or nothing. And it was the screaming and yelling, and they were seeking the court to agree with them and take their side. Surprise, surprise, those same people have jobs. (laughs) Hmm. And so you can see how that might translate
2: right to the workplace or to other places. Um, I wonder, you know, most people run, don't walk from this kind of behavior, but You, Megan, have gone towards it. (laughs) Because I'm crazy, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how did that happen? And why doesn't it scare the crap
4: out of you? I don't know. Um, It started when I was a child support caseworker in a county attorney's office in Nebraska. Um, Small town, small county. And um, I just uh, fell in love with doing child support, mostly because I enjoyed getting people to agreement. And you have specialized, right, in workplace high conflict
2: um, and written a bunch of books on the subject. And I'm struck by, I, I think your use of words is really helpful. Like you said earlier that you hear three words when people come to you for help. And I think the words were exhaustion, chaos, and dread. That's it. Uh, Christy, do those words resonate with you?
1: Oh, man, she's nailing so much over here.
4: <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Ding,
1: ding. I could throw in a, about 10 more words, but you you understand what I'm talking about. You understand how humiliating, how uh, demeaning, how betrayed somebody is when they go through all of this.
4: Yeah, and it's demoralizing, and, and you try and try everything you know to do. And ultimately, um, you know, some people just give up. And have to accept it because there's no recourse if their organization, you know, can't help,
1: won't help. I could not just not do anything. I could not watch the next group of human beings having to go through what I went through. I did so much to try to stop this. I tried going to so many different people. I couldn't fix it.
4: Mm -hmm. You're a problem solver. Unfortunately, I, you know, despite our our best skills and our best tools and our best efforts and our best smiles, sometimes it still doesn't work. And sometimes we do still have to leave. And I know that's frustrating, Christy, because it feels to me that you do like to solve a problem and you don't uh, sweep things under the rug. So here's our first insight.
2: Leadership matters. Leaders have to put standards and norms in place to prevent this kind of mistreatment. And then managers all the way down the line have to enforce those standards. You would think in 2022 that most companies would have these policies in place, and most of them do. But you have to enforce them. So if bullying or harassment of any kind occurs, then leadership responds to it quickly. Megan, can you describe that to us? Like you said, you've seen places where they've figured this out, like they have policies in place. What does that look like?
4: Yeah. So I, I've, and it mostly is large organizations who have taken a real interest in having a strong people culture, right? A people first culture. And um, taking the time to develop policies that uh, protect everyone and provide. Uh, boundaries and set limits and very, very clear consequences if you cross the boundaries. Sometimes leaders will
2: fail and you may have to leave, like Christy did. But what if you can't? After the break, we'll uncover some surprising ways to respond to a bully in real time when you have no other good choices. Stay with
0: us. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com.
2: We're back with our listener, Christy, and our expert, Megan Hunter, co-founder and CEO of the High Conflict Institute. So we've learned that someone with a high conflict personality doesn't play by normal rules. They often have a deep fear of being inferior. So their default operating system is to act aggressively superior in ways that can do a lot of damage to a company and to the people who work there.
1: I was quite lucky to have a decent support system around me, and it still took me a long time. So in my mind, I'm thinking, what's happening to these other girls who don't have that? Yeah. What's happening to these girls who are trying to raise their kids and don't have uh, the ability to walk away from this type of abuse because they can't afford to lose a week's pay and and keep Mm. up? What's happening to who are in a worse position than me
4: and i i i've I've been there i have to tell you you just described my life for a while when i was divorced and a single parent with young children and i had i'd moved from a very rural area to a, a big 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 city um and it wasn't the type of job that you could just go somewhere else and get and so i felt trapped and i'm sure the women you're talking about feel trapped and it's uh it's hard because high conflict people don't stop themselves right they're basically in a um, kind of in a fight-or-flight mode where this where this fear is triggered and they're just driven by this entirely different operating system and it it just repeats itself over and over again like groundhog day they're blaming they're being defensive they're they can't handle the criticism they're bullying all of it so
2: I'm curious, Megan, do high-conflict people that you're describing, do they tend to have suffered
4: in their own Yes. High-conflict people in general probably have experienced past trauma. Now, you know, some of it could be temperament that they're born with, uh, attachment disruptions in that early childhood environment, in those, you know really delicate years where you're learning everything and the mirror neurons are picking up everything and causing you to do exactly what you've seen or trauma is just teaching them a different way. And and the way I look at it is that's what's creating this operating system. Okay. So not everyone that experiences trauma is going to end up high conflict. I don't want to anyone to, right. to think that, but some will. Hmm. And they cause more
2: trauma in the world. Yeah, it just per- continues. Perpetuates, right? Sometimes a high conflict person or situation like what Christy faced is just too overwhelming to handle on your own. So it's critical to find support wherever you can. Christy, I wonder, you said earlier that you've had, you've sort of come to realize that this, this has been a kind of trauma for you. And I'm wondering, how could you tell that it had this effect on you?
1: Counseling, and honestly, I've listened to an awful lot of podcasts. It's the reason I wanted to do this, to potentially help somebody else. Because unfortunately, what happens is when you get put in this position, there's also these other um, myths that people think is, is why can't victims deal with the bullying? They're grown-ups, right? Did you feel that in yourself? I did. I I felt like there was something wrong that I couldn't fix this. How could I not get this fixed? So what can you do
2: in
4: the moment to handle a workplace bully? One technique you might try, if you feel confident enough to do it, and you feel that you're in a safe enough place to do it, that you're not going to be in, you know, in... Har, uh, harm's way of physical danger is to use what we call, um, an ear statement and ear stands for, for empathy, attention, or respect. Okay. So these, the, the high conflict operating system is craving these three things. When you use any of those three or use them all together, um, that's what their brain is craving and it will calm them typically. And then there's kind of a a second part to it. And that is shifting them into thinking. I like to call it calm before think. What I need to do is give them a little ear to get them calm before I get them thinking, because what's happening in their brain is that they're just, you know, kind of on fire and they're going to blame and yell. So you're going to give them something calm, give them an ear statement and then shift it into questions questions make people think. When people are thinking, they become calmer. When you ask them a question that causes them to have to focus on a choice, it makes them calmer and it keeps them away from the brain on fire yelling. It's it's funny because so many things in high
2: conflict are the opposite of every what every fiber in my body wants to do. It's like it, it just takes a lot of training and practice. It's and it's so ah it's like it feels like we shouldn't, if someone's treating us this way, we shouldn't give them what they want. Like, we shouldn't have to give them empathy, attention, and respect, right? right? <laughs> like, it's not right. It's not fair. And I just want to just voice
4: that. And I know
2: that you know that. Yeah. <laughs> but I just want to say that.
4: I mean, it, it's it's exactly right. It doesn't feel fair. However, the first step in, in all of this is to accept that there there is this 10 to 15% of the population who are high conflict. And if you can accept that, then you can get one step closer to stopping yourself before you go into your regular mode.
2: So another insight here, which is going to sound impossible at first, try to give the bully what he wants in a small way, with a brief statement of respect or attention. Something like, Man, I can see how frustrated you are by this situation and that I really want to help. I know, I know. This sounds totally unfair. And it is. You shouldn't have to say this. And yet, it works a surprising amount of the time. But what if, in the moment, you're just too upset to suddenly use this kind of
4: Jedi mind trick? What then? When, when I feel a certain way, when I have a strong feeling, that means dread, uh, upset anger when I'm around this person, right that bully at work. When I get a feeling that means I have a dilemma. That means I better stop and figure out what I'm going going to do. And so I just call it dilemmas and decisions and you just sit down and write out a list of the options you can think of how to handle this situation. okay so Christy, you're really frustrated. you feel pissed off. Okay, I need to sit down write out a list. What are my options? I could tell the guy off, you know I could go to HR, I could quit my job. Um, I mean, you can write down everything from the most ridiculous and what you feel like doing to the most logical and what you probably should do. And then you analyze the list by asking yourself a few little questions like, am I being defensive in this one? Am I all or nothing? You know, like firebombing his car is probably an extreme behavior. (laughs) Well, that was what was on my list. Um, uh, You read my mind. And after you
2: cross it it off. It sounds like you're trying to, yeah, you're trying to slow down your brain, right? Right. Just to interrupt the, yeah, which we wish that other person would do. But since they're not going to do it. I had
1: to do that many times, let me tell you. Yeah. How did you do it? Did you find any tricks that worked for you? A lot of times I would just have to walk away, count to 10. Uh Uh-huh. Um, it, it it just wasn't easy to do. But the other thing, what what I found was happening is that um, the other people around also people were getting more vicious when they saw nothing was being done about the harassment and bullying. It was like oh, they were, we were like getting permission. permission. You know, it becomes a tone of the environment. They yeah. can now act on something vicious that they may not have before. So trying to calm things down was sometimes even harder because. Uh, there were simply no consequences in place, or at least none being enforced. So those people um, would either make it worse or the bystanders would make it worse.
2: Right, because these emotions are contagious. Um, and it also reminds me of the the advice you were giving, Megan, about taking a break. And uh, there's a guy named Bill Ury who is a negotiator, and he's worked on conflicts all around the world. And he tells this story about being in Venezuela, and he was working for months trying to help negotiate some kind of peace treaty. And he was supposed to have a meeting with Hugo Chavez, and he was waiting and waiting for him. And finally, around midnight, Chavez shows up and immediately starts berating Bill Yuri, just screaming in his face for like a long time. <laughs> and of course, Yuri's reaction to this internally is to be, Indignant, outraged, and and actually frightened because it feels like he's now wasted all of this time and everything's falling apart. I,
1: I felt that before. <laughs> yeah,
2: you can relate, right? And and it's of course in front of an audience. It's all of Chavez's, you know, entourage, and so it's now humiliating, which makes everything worse in conflict. Yeah. Um and but because he had done this so many times and practiced it so many times in low stakes settings he does this thing he calls going to the balcony in his own mind where he imagines himself watching this from a balcony up above and just watching what's happening so he's literally trying to get distance from it. Mm-hmm. And he kind of calms himself down and then he literally did Megan the ear thing without calling it that mm. like he tried to get super curious about what Chavez was actually upset about, like what was really underneath this. He tried to really listen, which is so hard to do, but he tried to show him attention, show him empathy, show him respect. And then, finally, Chavez stopped talking and said, well, what do you think we should do? And Bill Yuri suggested that they do a temporary ceasefire because Christmas was coming and everybody was exhausted by the conflict. And Chavez said yes. Hmm. So on the one hand, this is bullshit. Like, nobody should be allowed to scream in your face. Not even Hugo Chavez, right? Yeah. And on the other hand, a bunch of people didn't get hurt because of this. So another suggestion here. If you're really triggered, you got to get some distance. If you can't go to the balcony in your own mind, and let's face it, most people can't without a lot of practice, then really try to take a break. And on that break... Maybe make a list of all your options and put everything on it, even things you know you won't do. Christy, do you have advice if there's somebody listening, a woman who's dealing with this kind of abusive behavior at work every day, what would you tell her?
1: What what I would say is that we we need to speak up. We can't let it continue on. You have a right to be treated with dignity. You deserve to have psychological safety at work. You should know that you, what you do matters and nobody should have a right to speak to you that way.
2: So it sounds like you would try to
1: tell her from the
2: bottom of your heart that this is not okay.
1: It's totally not okay. I recently talked to a person in the um, education system who told me that there was a teacher who took their life. This teacher was being harassed and bullied and everybody around knew it was happening. So we are telling children to go to the adults and try to get something done about this. And we have a system here where a a teacher took their own life because they couldn't get anything done about it. This is wrong.
4: So, I mean, there are situations that, you know, are impossible. And I don't want to say that this works, you know, 100% of the time. Um, There are some extraordinarily high-conflict people out there, extreme bullies, and, you know, nothing will work with them short of them leaving the organization. And I hate to say that, but that is the reality. As much as we'd like to make it a perfect world and every organization you know, run really smoothly, you've still got someone at the helm of that organization that may be overwhelmed, they may be confused, they may be high conflict themselves. But a a really strong leader will have an understanding of these things and be prepared for it. Otherwise, it's going to be in disarray, it's going to be toxic and you're going to lose really fantastic employees like Christy.
1: Thank you you guys. I appreciate you giving me a voice. I really needed to feel heard and I think it's really gonna help me more in my healing.
2: Thank you to Megan Hunter for all of her great advice. If you're dealing with a high-conflict person at work, definitely check out the book she co-authored with Bill Eddy called Biff at Work, Your Guide to Difficult Workplace Communication. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And thank you to Christy for her courage in reaching out to us and sharing her experience. She wanted us to ask if others have gone through something similar at work. How did you handle it? Let us know by emailing us at at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646 495-4001. And that's where you can always reach us with any other problems you're dealing with at work or in any other part of your life. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson and Katie Shepard produced the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Special thanks to Amber Smith. Charles Duhigg created this show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.